WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative, is underwritten by Geisinger. When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital? Doctors? Health insurance? We're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital. It's for you. Want to fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local healthcare system and your local pharmacy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. I'm Tracy Matisak, and in this episode, we're talking about kids, social media, and mental health. A recent warning from the U.S. Surgeon General said that social media can present what he calls a profound risk of harm to the mental health of children and adolescents. With so many kids, up to 95% of teens, using TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and the like, and a third of them reporting that they use it almost constantly, What are the risks? Does social media have an upside? And what can adults do to help keep kids safe as they scroll? Our guest is Tia Dreckman, a K-12 professional school counselor with 21 years of experience in public education. She's a nationally certified counselor with expertise in suicide prevention and trauma-informed care. Ms. Dreckman is an advocate for students and has devoted much of her career to students in the middle grades. Tia Dreckman, welcome back to the Mind Over Matter podcast. Yes, thank you so much, Tracy. It's great to be back for sure. So last time you were here, we were talking about restorative parenting. This time we want to talk about social media and what parents need to know to help kids engage in it in a way that doesn't harm their mental health. So let's start with the Surgeon General's warning about the risks. And I want to talk specifically about adolescents. What's happening with their brain development at that time that could make them especially vulnerable to the harmful side of social media? Right. So this is the area of some of the work that I do um, that I really enjoy. And it all goes back to and I cannot I can't remember, Tracy, if I I if I talked about this when we had our um, panel discussion that we did live in the studio that was so great with some other awesome professionals. Um, But there was a study uh, or an article um, that I read a, a handful of years ago, and I'm a very visual person. And so that article laid out for me what the changes in the brain look like between the ages of about 10 to 14, 11 to 15. And so essentially that article uh, said that if we think of the preteen to early teen brain, the changes that happen between the ages of 11 to 15, 10 to 14, the changes in the brain are commensurate with the physical changes that we see between a newborn and a two-year-old. So if we think of a newborn that is completely helpless, right, and depends on us, by the time they're two years old, they're speaking and walking and running and making choices and playing and all of those things, that physical development is huge. That is commensurate with the development of the brain between the ages of about 10 to 14, 11 to 15. Those synapses are happening so quickly in the brain. The growth rate of the brain is so incredibly quick for our teenagers. Um, And this is why our teenagers are so um, can fall 
victim very easily um, to the negative impact of social media. It truly is about brain development. It truly is about biology and how we are growing into adulthood. Um, and and the, the things that are happening in the brain when you tie in something like the extra input of social media or the additional positive or negative input of social media can really have a, a tremendous profound impact on our teenagers. So Tia, I was reading too along those lines that that is a time in brain development where adolescents are developing their sense of identity, their sense of self-worth. And when you think about some of the things that they can encounter on social media, that that could really be a crucial time and, and how social media could have a very powerful effect one way or the other, given all that's going on in their brains at that time. Yeah, for sure. So um, while that is a time where where teens are developing their own identity and self-worth. Let's not discount the importance of all of the things that happen before we hit those teen years and how much identity development and um, self-worth and values all can be developed back to that time where we talked about even those early intervention years, those very early, early years of, um, of development for the brain. And so that what we're doing with our children when they are young is also going to vastly impact the impact of social media on the teen brain. Yeah. The Surgeon General's advisory also mentioned a study involving college students that suggests a significant connection between social media use and anxiety and depression, um, that sort of the more they used it, the more they would see an increase in anxiety and depression. What is it about social media that can make young people and even not so young people for that matter, sometimes feel worse after they scroll than before? Yeah, it is the um, it is the the comparison. (laughs) It it is the idea of comparison um, and judgment. Um, So in order for if we even think about our primal brain, um, our brain's job is to protect us, to keep us alive. Right. So we are constantly looking. Are we safe? Are things okay? Are we good? Are we okay? That is what our brain does. When we spin that to social media and we're seeing all of these people, and we talk about this often, who, nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, most people don't post their worst day on (laughs) social media, right? Like I am not, I am not posting when the house is a disaster and the garbage needs to be taken out and I'm not posting those things. But the reality of it is, is we are safe we are healthy and we can be very happy despite the fact that things may not be camera ready or social media ready. But unfortunately, our brain that is meant to protect us is looking around and judging. We are always judging our surroundings. We are judging our situation. We are judging other people um, to see, are we safe? Are we happy? Are we healthy? Um, it is the it is the idea of comparison that we live with. And so prior to social media, we were able to compare ourselves based off of our own personal friend group, our, our people that were in our immediate purview, right? 
since the explosion of social media, we are now comparing ourselves. We are now looking out for, are we safe? Are we happy? Are we healthy? We are now looking way beyond the scope of our immediate purview. And we are seeing all of these other things and judging whether or not we are ourselves happy and healthy. Yeah. And the comparison pool is so much bigger. And I think we can tend to forget in those moments that, um, to your point, we are all presenting this carefully curated image of ourselves that may not exactly match with reality. It's just a snapshot of a moment. But for a young person, you know, that can be a pretty powerful thing. Um, I think the other piece of it is that anybody who has used, let's say, Facebook knows how addictive social media can be, you know, one post or video can lead to another. And next thing you know, an hour's gone by, uh, you don't know where it went, but you're still scrolling. Why do we do that T? I I mean, what is it about social media that just sort of sucks us in um, to the point where we can lose track of time and, and just spend more time there than we ever intended to spend? Mm, guilty. <laughs> I wish I knew the answer to that. <laughs> it's the vortex. It's the vortex of at your fingertips. You have the ability to feed your brain exactly what it's looking for. So if I am looking for pictures of cute puppies and bunnies and all kinds of fun stuff that makes me feel good, Tracy, I'm going to find it. If I'm in some sort of mood that doesn't feel so good and I'm looking to find who else is in that mood that doesn't feel so good, social media is going to find it for me. If I'm looking to spend a few dollars and I want to start doing some shopping, social media is going to find it for me. I think part of the interesting um, side of it too, and many of us have been there where we are, um, maybe we look up something, a topic on Google, and suddenly now the next time I am scrolling the Facebooks, as I like to call it, or Instagram, suddenly I'm now seeing ads for books on that topic, or I'm seeing post related to something that I um, that I previously was looking for. So now if we go back to that adolescent brain that is connecting all those synapses so quickly, suddenly we are now being flooded with more information than we ever set out to have to begin with. It used to be that, you know, we would go to the library and we would read through the encyclopedia or the newspaper or whatever to find the information that we needed. And then we took a break. We went home and we were away from it. Now, um, being that we are so connected to our devices for better and for worse, we now have all of this information right there at our fingertips. Yeah. And the algorithms are such that whatever you're looking for, it's going to keep feeding you more and more of that. Of course, Tia, one of the huge concerns about social media for young people, especially, is bullying. How big a problem is that? I mean, you're a school counselor. You're also a parent of young people. Um, how big of an issue is it, number one? And what are some of the warning signs maybe that adults need to look for that a child might be the victim of online bullying? Yeah. So relational aggression is definitely something that we are are faced with every day. As adults, relational aggression is something that we engage in. It is something that we see at times. And children, of course, when we when we um, when we look at it from the bullying perspective of really that power differential, when we have a child exerting power over another child, um, I think social media creates an avenue for relational aggression or for our children a, a bullying situation because it allows allows the the um the false narrative of 
uh, anonymity of that you're anonymous. And so you can say these things or you can do these things and record yourself um, and it's not going to come back to you. So I often have conversations with students, with my own child, that if you're not fixing to do or say whatever you are about to type or post online, if you're not fixing to do that, straight right here in front of me, you probably should second guess what you are about to post online. That is a great reminder for our teens. That's a great conversation to have with our teens. Hey, I get it. You really want to post about the really fun um, party that you went to last night? Are the things that happened during that party or are the things that you, um, the, the people that you were with, is that something that you would be okay with me seeing, your grandma seeing, your great aunt Margo seeing? What you're doing is putting everything out there and having that quick check of, hey, if you wouldn't say it or do it straight in front of me, your school counselor, your mom, your aunt, whatever, perhaps you should second guess whether or not it should be posted online. Yeah. And for those kids who may be on the receiving end of negativity online, um, share a little bit maybe about your experience as a counselor. Like, have you talked with kids about this who have been victims of online bullying? Can you see some signs of that in terms of their attitude, um, the way that they present themselves, maybe a sense of anxiety or, or just a, a feeling of depression? Um, what do you see and how can you what are what's what are some warning signs maybe that yeah. a, a kid might be dealing with that? So let's talk about um, what I see. Um, oftentimes, and I ask um, families for this as well. When a student is um, finding themselves in a situation that does not feel good, or when my child is in a situation that does not feel good, the first thing we see is behavior change. So behavior is communication. We've talked about this before. We see a behavior change. So we go from having a child, uh, or you know, in my case, a student. Um, who might be outgoing, spending time with different groups of friends to suddenly they're more introverted. Or we see a student who um, grades start to really drop. Um, or we see something on the short term, and this is where I really try to be really proactive as a school counselor. I try to spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time out of my office, in the hallways, in the cafeteria, because I'm observing. So if we think about one negative experience, social media is so impactful that one negative experience, one post that says something about me that I don't like can create behavior change, short-term behavior change in a student. So I can look and see that um, a child who typically sits somewhere in the cafeteria is sitting somewhere different. And for me, that's a red flag to go over and say, hey, girlfriend, what's going on? Like, how's your day? How are things going? Just to have that extra connection. Sometimes that's all it takes is someone noticing um, and students are able to feel a lot better. But I would say um, some of the biggest things to look out for for students um, when they are incurring any kind of uncomfortable situation, be it a relational aggression, bullying situation, being um, increased anxiety, um, the worries, as I call it, with my younger students, is behavior change. Behavior is communication. What is this child trying to communicate through, to me through what they are doing? Definitely, I want to touch on a little bit once we see that behavior change um, or in the event, and this happens more frequently than not, I think, where a child, our own or someone else's in my case, comes to me and says, so-and-so is doing such and such and I don't like it. And as the adult, our first response is, oh, who cares? Just ignore it. Why is it such a big deal? 
okay, time out. As the adult, here's where we need to recognize that if the child has already sought us out, number one, I can easily answer for you the who cares question. That child cares. And in turn, we need to show some sort of care for that child. So the who cares question is the child that is presenting to you saying, hey, something happened that I'm not comfortable with. So who cares doesn't work because that that answer is pretty simple. It's the child. They care. The second piece of that is just ignore it. Just ignore it and it'll stop. Just ignore it and it'll go away. Um, One of my very helpful conversations that I have often with parents and students is, can you ignore a a fire alarm? So when the fire alarm is going off in your house, when the fire, the smoke detector is going off in your house or the fire alarm is going off at school, can you ignore that? Well, you certainly could, right? And your ears are going to start to burn and you're going to get a nasty headache and things are going to be awful. You can't necessarily put stop the fire alarm from going off. Once the fire has already happened, once the negative social media event has happened, once the negative peer interaction has happened, you cannot, that, that has already happened. It's out of your control of that piece of it. But what is in your control, what is in a child's control, what is in our control as adults when uncomfortable situations happen is how are you going to react to it? So when the smoke alarm goes off, when the fire alarm in a school goes off and it's that loud, loud loudness and the lights are flashing from the fire alarm, when that happens, how are you going to react to it in a way that leads this situation to have a more positive outcome? If we run out of the building yelling, screaming, pushing through people, throwing things, making a hot mess out of an already difficult situation, things aren't going to go as smoothly as they possibly could. Versus if when that fire alarm or if that smoke alarm goes off in your house, if you take a deep breath, calmly get to an exit, take your things with you that you need, get to a place of safety. It is very similar to when we are in an uncomfortable situation, whether that's something posted online or a personal situation um, between people. And what I mean by that is once that uncomfortable situation happens, once that post pops up and I realize, oh my goodness, I am the target of a nasty, nasty group chat. If I now start chatting back all of the meanest, rudest things that I could possibly do and screenshotting to everybody and their brother, that is not going to make the situation better. That is going to lead to a longer fire alarm, more headaches versus if I calmly choose what my next step is going to be and what I work with students on is the ability to come to a loving, trusting adult so that we can assess the situation together. Um, The calmer we can approach the situation, the better the outcome can be. But I love, love, love that fire alarm, especially when we're in school. I love that visual for my students because when we say to a student, just ignore it, nobody can ignore a fire alarm, but it's all about how you react to that situation. Good advice for kids and adults. We are talking about social media and mental health and kids and how can we as adults help keep them safe, allow them to engage in social media without harm to their mental health. Our guest is Tia Dreckman. She is a K through 12 counselor. We've got more to talk about, but we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. WVIA presents a Mind Over Matter Minute. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Faulkner from Geisinger. Creating a safe home environment is vital when a family member is in crisis. Following these suggestions can help reduce the risk and chances of self-harm or suicide. Guns should be stored and unloaded in a locked safe. 
lock away knives, razor blades, and other sharp objects. Keep all medications in a locked box. Lock all toxic household cleaners. Monitor online activities for researching methods of suicide or purchasing items that could be used for self-harm. If you are concerned that a loved one has been exhibiting signs of self-harm or suicide, contact a mental health professional or dial 911 immediately for an emergency evaluation. Remember, you are not alone. For more, visit wvia.org forward slash mindovermatter or dial 211 to speak with someone who can help. Mind Over Matter is presented by WVIA in partnership with Geisinger. You're listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast, and we're talking with Tia Dreckman. She is a school counselor. She has also um, got expertise in suicide prevention and trauma-informed care. We've been talking about kids and social media and the mental health effects that can come from too much time online. Um, Tia, we've been talking about the downsides of social media, but I want to flip the script a little bit because as significant as some of those risks are, um, we know that social media is certainly not all bad and it can even be beneficial if used in a healthy way. So let's talk a little bit about the upsides. What are some of the benefits that young people can derive from social media? Connection connection. So in each of the times uh, where we've had this opportunity to kind of get together and and talk, Tracy, I really talk about um, the need our teens, um, our our early teens have for connection and autonomy. It's like I'm saying two completely opposite things, but it's all about what it what it looks like, really. So um, the the ability for students to connect um, in a healthy way to find like-minded individuals um, is one of the definite upsides of social media. I think it's really important that as adults, we are modeling that for our students and for our children. So we are having positive social media interactions. We are doing things like, you know, wishing someone maybe that we don't normally see or, or normally get to interact with. We're wishing them a happy birthday or, you know, good luck on something upcoming that's happening. Um, or we're using social media to post positive things, of, you know, positive things that are happening for other people or just kind of, um, you know, we talked earlier about if I wanted to scroll and see nothing but cute puppies and all of that, you know, posting those things that are positive and can really have a positive impact on others because we all are seeking connection, especially um, our our teens, our adolescents are really looking for um, that ability to connect with someone. I will say though, um, that the more we can connect in person with our teens, with our children, the better those online interactions will be. And what I mean by that is person first, people face to face first in order to establish, okay, what are my values of a good friendship? What am I looking for in someone that maybe I wouldn't have the opportunity to sit down and have dinner with, but I want them to positively contribute to to my life. If I'm having positive in-person interactions, students are much more likely to have positive online interactions. The Surgeon General's report um, specifically acknowledge that social media can have some benefits for groups that may be marginalized and mention specifically LGBTQ kids, um, children of color. Can you speak a little bit to that and how social media can be a positive thing for marginalized groups? 
That sense of love and belonging. When I am feeling like I cannot relate to others, I am more likely to be sad, to not feel good. And so the love and belonging piece for our students and for anyone um, who views themselves as being uh, marginalized, the ability to find someone like me has a positive impact on the brain, which then has a positive uh, impact on our thoughts, feelings, emotions, all of those. The Surgeon General's report also made it clear that everybody bears some degree of responsibility when it comes to protecting kids from the darker sides of social media and mentions, you know, parents, tech companies, policymakers, researchers, um, and kids themselves for that matter. So um, I want to talk about parents specifically, and I know that you've mentioned a couple of things here, but um, what are some concrete steps that parents can take to reduce the potential harms of social media and encourage balanced use for their kids? Yeah. So this is where that piece of um, expectation um, in raising children comes in. So letting your child know that when something happens, when you see something online that you're uncomfortable with, or when you someone says something about you online that you're uncomfortable with, what is our expectation of a fam- as a family of what your reaction is going to be? And how will you meet that expectation? The answer that I so often get from students and that I got uh, from my own child when I said, why don't just tell me when something goes wrong, just tell me. Um, And my awesome, awesome daughter said, but then you're going to freak out. (laughs) And I had to take a deep breath (laughs) because she was right. And so we had to come to an agreement, her and I, and um, with my students, I have come to an agreement of you have to give me a chance to not freak out. So the scary piece of this is, though, when those smaller things happen, when our when our child makes a choice that maybe we don't necessarily agree with, but it's not the end of the world, um, when those smaller events happen, as adults, we need to check ourselves and not freak out. We have a million chances to not freak out when small little misbehaviors happen. However, if every time or the majority of time our child comes to us or makes a poor choice, we are blowing this up and we are taking away their phone for two weeks and we're yelling and screaming and we're, we're um, engaging in a way that is, is really pushing that connection away, there is no way that child is going to come to us when they're feeling a little bit uncomfortable or unsure about something that's happening online. So I often have to remind my students, give me the chance to not freak out. The other piece I say to my students about having a loving, trusting adult, somebody that they can talk to, is that with that loving, trusting adult, who I hope is a parent or, um, you know, when they're at school, um, hoping that it is kind of a paramour when they're at school. So, you know, a teacher, a school counselor, um, a school secretary, um, our our amazing school staff, our our resources for all of our kids. Um, But I often will tell students, if you are honest with me, I can help you. You may not always like the way the help looks. It may not be exactly what you think it should be. But if you are honest with me about something that you have done or something that you feel you are the victim of, I am much more likely to be able to help you to get to a place of comfort 
versus if you are dishonest with me, that just gets things mucky and murky and it makes a lot it makes it a lot more difficult to help get someone back to a state where they are feeling comfortable. Yeah. So again, just really looking for um, you know, what are what are the expectations as a family that if and when something happens, when you see something, um, and this could even be and <laughs> I'm kind of dating myself a little bit, but this can even be about, you know, our students watching um Netflix, Hulu, all of all of these at, at our fingertips, you know, uh, media in general, um, you know, when you see something or hear something that you're not comfortable with, what is our expectation as a family? In my house, it's, you know, you come to dad or I and you ask us about it. The expectation that our daughter has on us is that we don't freak out. What were you doing on there? You weren't even supposed to be on there. Why are you even looking at that? Mm-mm. Time out, mom, dad, teacher, principal, dean of students, whatever. Time out. Don't freak out because we promised we wouldn't and process through it um, with the student of how we can help to get the situation again back to that fire alarm how can we get ourselves back to a place of safety without wreaking havoc uh, in the meantime yeah I have heard you say in the past Tia that social media is here to stay it's not going anywhere and we have got to figure out a way to manage it in the most most healthy way possible stop fighting it um, as parents, and I've had this phone conversation one too many times, I, I still remember a conversation that I had with a seventh grade um, mom. And she said, my daughter keeps saying that everybody else has it. Everybody else has a phone. And she's the only one in seventh grade that doesn't have a phone. And I was that school counselor. And I said, mama, she's not lying. Everybody else does have it. Don't discount the importance of the values that you lay down in your home. But at some point, we have to move from managing our children to consulting with and for our children. So really giving our teens the ability to have a little bit more freedom, have that autonomy that they're looking for, but have the safety net of, look, when something happens, because something is going to happen, when something happens, we're going to work through it as a family. We're going to work through it as a loving, trusting community, school community, um, home community. We're going to work through it together. So stop fighting it. We can't do that. But what we can do is lay out safe, fair expectations with our children, with our students. Tia Dreckman is a K-12 professional counselor. She's got 21 years of experience in public education. She's a nationally certified counselor with expertise in suicide prevention and trauma-informed care. Tia, thank you so much for making time to talk with us once again on the podcast. Thank you, Tracy. You're listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast. For more information on this and other mental health topics, check out our website at wvia.org slash mindovermatter. I'm Tracy Matisak. Thanks for listening. See you next time. WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative, is underwritten by Geisinger. When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital? Doctors? Health insurance? We're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital. It's for you. Want to fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local healthcare system and your local pharmacy. 